Dior Talks. I really want to celebrate the creativity of the women, but all the creativity. It's another way to give voice to the artists that I like. Only in this way you can move in the future and then you have a conversation with a new generation of women. I'm so delighted to say that this episode of Dior Talks interviews one of the most pioneering artists, authors, feminists and educators ever to exist, the brilliant Judy Chicago. Best known for her tireless and incredible contribution to feminism, Judy has never stopped developing a singular female-centered aesthetic that challenges male domination and celebrates the often overlooked achievements of women. In contrast with the clean, angular lines favored by her contemporaries working in Southern California in the 1960s, Judy preferred generous, sensual, colorful, and suggestive curves with spirals and shells evoking symbols of female power that still resonate with her work today. It was between 1974 and 1979 that she boldly and poetically asserted her art with The Dinner Party, a monumental installation comprised of 39 play settings arranged on an open triangular table that rests on a porcelain tiled floor inscribed with the names of 999 other important women. But the reason why we are speaking with Judy today is because she has very excitingly collaborated with the creative director of the women's collection at Dior, Maria Grazia Curie, on the spring-summer 2020 Autocashore show, bringing her deep knowledge of women's history as well as her familiarity with needle and textile techniques, Judy has created an immense goddess figure that she originally designed in the 1970s but never produced up until today. My name's Katie Hessel, I am an art historian and curator from London and run the Great Women Artists Instagram account and today I am going to be meeting Judy Chicago at the Musée Rodin. Hi Judy, it's so good to see you. I'm so intrigued, how did this collaboration come about? How did you prepare for this collaboration between yourself and Maria Grazia Curie? You know, I did a lot of research about Dior, yeah. about Christian Dior mm-hmm. himself. I read his autobiography. I read a lot about the history of the house. As you know, I always try and, you know, like do research on a subject before yeah. I get involved. And Dior himself was very far ahead when he started designing. He just was. Yeah in terms of how to bring his ideas into the world. And I think Dior are really to be congratulated for having hired Maria Gracia Churi as the first female creative director because I think consciously or unconsciously they were in tune with what is happening in the larger culture. Yeah. That women are no longer willing to subject themselves to the male gaze mm-hmm. in life or in, in, in fashion. Yeah. Dior seems to be the only house that has realized that women want something else now mm. and that they have supported not only this concept of mine, but that they have participated in doing something that they never did before with any collection, is they actually, we actually made art together. Can you tell me about how this structure is actually going to be realized in the Musée de Rodin? The female divine 
involves a monumental goddess figure in which will be held the couture show and then will be an exhibition open to the public. Yeah. You will walk into the body of the goddess on a carpet of milfleur. Yeah. I establish a color palette for the whole show. Um, and then um, at the back of this long catwalk, because the milfleur carpet becomes the catwalk, yeah. at the back of the catwalk. So it stretches from the muse- museum right into well, the... Well, it starts the just as a solid color and then begins to become the floral pattern as you walk up the stairs and yeah. enter the body of the goddess, which will be bathed in a golden hue to be to establish a kind of sacred space. Yeah. And at the back, there will be a, there is a 17-foot by 12-foot banner that asks, what if women ruled the world? Then on either side of the catwalk will be 10 banners on the left, 10 banners on the right, in English and in French, asking a series of questions that occurred to me after I posed the question, what if women ruled the world? Yeah. And on the night of the couture show, there's going to be a dinner, so there'll be these long tables. And it's like restaging the dinner party, essentially. Actually, it was very interesting, you know, because when uh, I first started talking with Mira Grasha, she wanted to do something about the din- in relationship yeah. to the dinner party. And as I told you before, you know, I've been very intent uh, over the last 10 years on getting the body of my work out from under the shadow of the dinner party so I didn't want to yeah. do that and then in terms of both Maria Grasha's and mine long term commitment to empowerment of women yeah. Maria Grasha decided that the banner should be made by women at a school supported by Dior training women in embroidery in India where embroidery is done by men and so again if you think about my almost 60-year career of trying to empower women, starting in Santa Monica, Mm. going to New York, where we met a number of times to look at samples for this project, to Paris and Dior, all the way to Mumbai, India. I mean... It's a global movement. It's a global movement. And again, it speaks to Dior's understanding on some level that globally women are awakening. So, I mean, congratulations on this incredible project. You must be absolutely thrilled. I mean, what, how does it feel to have realised this project in the 70s and then finally see it come into fruition over 40 years later? Well, I, keep saying you ne- I keep saying you never know what's going to happen if you live long <laughs> enough. But anyway, um, first of all, from July, when Maria Grasha, when we met Maria Grasha at the last couture show, till now, basically all I've been doing is working. Yeah. So there's also kind of like trying to take a breath mm-hmm. and see all the elements of all these months of work come to life. You know, nobody had seen the banners because they're being made in India. Yeah. Uh, and even the people involved in Dior, you know, 
they haven't seen anything. Maria Grasha never saw the inside. She hadn't seen the structure until this morning. <laughs> so I think for everybody involved, it's like going to take us a couple of days to sort of like settle into the realization of what we have created together. And, you know, this is the first time, as you know, historically, Dior designers drew on artists' work. Yeah. But, of course, it was all male designers, and they drew on the work of men. And when Maria Grasha came in as the first female creative director, she started working with women artists. Yeah. But this is the first time that collaboration actually produced art. Yeah. New art. Totally, because this was a project that you realized in the 70s. I mean, when you were first starting out with it, what were your but initial that, thoughts? But that was only the goddess structure. The banners, you know, um, when I proposed the structure and the idea of the female divine, it included banners inside. Yeah. But my first concept for the banners was much simpler. It was just brocade front, velvet back, and the questions embroidered, but just in Roman, you know, just could be done yeah. by computer. When Maria Grasha came to New Mexico to start discussing the project, Maria Grasha brought pictures of the dinner party banners. Yeah. And said, we want you to write the questions. And I'm like, and you want images? <laughs> and this is October and the show <laughs> opens in January? You know, Dior is used to working on that kind of fast turnaround. Yeah. It's a good thing Donald has the skills he has. He started out, my husband, yeah. he started out in architecture, which meant he could do he could draft the grids for the banners. And he's an incredible photographer, and he has unbelievable digital skills, mm. which meant... Yeah. Okay, so I... I couldn't have just handwritten them. What we ended up doing was Donald created a grid, and I drew each letter. I had to make sure it was the same width, all that. I mean, it took two weeks yeah. to do the letters, upper and lower case, and then we created a font. Mm. And so this is the font that you've been using throughout your whole career but in so many... For, you know, it's one thing, but it's one thing when on a painting I handwrite. It's another thing to make letters of, that are going to be six inches high because yeah. they're going to look lousy mm. unless they're completely gridded. So, you know, I mean, Donald said, you know, this is an incredible opportunity. You know, I'm going to help you in every way. Yeah. And had he not done that, I, we could, I could never have done this because it required so many, just like the dinner party, the mixture of so many different skills. So then... I started working on the banner patterns, the images. And, you know, I, I, I had a, like, that was all new imagery. I mean, I made, I did the, I, that wasn't from something else. Yeah. And uh, so I had to spend a lot of time. I Also, I was traveling for these other shows because in five months, six months, I, I can't remember if it's, Five months I had six shows, or six months I had five shows, but something like that. Everyone wants to celebrate your 18th birthday <laughs> right, last year. Right, So uh, I had to go to Boston, and we had two days, and the whole two days I was in the hotel room drawing. Yeah. You know, designing the banners, and then 
coming back. And I mean, it was uninterrupted. It was like we worked in the dinner party, but, you know, I'm not in yeah. my 30s, you know. <laughs> working 17 hours a day in the th- when I was in my 30s was nothing. Yeah. Working 12 hours a day now that I'm 80 was much more of a challenge. <laughs> so in fact, somebody asked me, oh, I, I was interviewed yesterday, somebody said to me, well, I mean, if some other fashion house comes to you, you know, will you... You know, maybe you'll do something else. I burst out laughing. I said, first of all, I can't, by contract, do it for five years. Second of all, in five years, there is no way. I barely did this. There's yeah. no way yeah. I could do a project like this again. Yeah. yeah. But how does it feel kind of seeing, you know, your realization in the 70s kind of come to life now? Is it how you envisioned it? It's more like what Diane Gellin, the former dinner party administrator, was saying. What's happening is the culmination of almost 60 years of yeah. work. It's not just the, in, the thinking about the mother goddess figure, you know, designing it and then seeing it come to life. It's fighting for women artists to have the right to work and get support at the scale male artists have worked on for centuries. Yeah. It's have, you know, because... I'm doing a updated and revised version of my two autobiographies, mm-hmm. and I was reading some of my journals from like the 90s, and what I was reading was like, this project is stalled. I tried to do this, and it didn't happen, and this project got stalled. I mean, and if you go back into the 70s, you know, where I just couldn't get support I couldn't get support to get bigger in terms of fireworks. I couldn't get support to, you know, I, I, I've always thought big, but I was never able to get the level of support that I have gotten for this project. Yeah. This, it's thrilling. I mean, it's completely <laughs> thrilling, you know, to have the resources of Dior mm. and this network of artisans around the world. I mean... It's what I dreamed of. Yeah. So this particular project is called The Female Divine. Mm -hmm. And um, how did it come about initially in the 70s? Were you thinking about it? Because we should explain to people that it's it's based around this female figure. And there's this incredible tent that's in the Musée Rodin at the moment. And the catwalk is actually going to be inside. When you were... The whole show. The whole show, exactly, exactly. When you were first envisioning this in the 70s, how did that... How did this interest in this figure come about? Well, as we were discussing, you know, I'd been doing all this research and discovered all the, this imagery around goddess figures mm. and discovered that in the beginning, God was female <laughs> in almost all cultures. Yeah. And I found the images, the early images of goddess figures incredibly empowering and and at that time actually it's very interesting because at that time anthropologists were denying the evidence of those images oh my god they were not saying these are female deities yeah they were seeing saying that they were fetish figures so that was what i discovered a lot in my research i mean that's what i set out to try and challenge and rectify and it's the same thing today you know it's like 
as long as our concept of the divine is male, women are lesser. Mm. And after this, we took a walk in the gardens of the Musée Rodin to see Judy's now-realized project from the 1970s, where the 2020 Haute Couture Show will be displayed tomorrow. I grew up, you know, going to the Brooklyn Museum and seeing your work, but even just having grown up in the last, you know, 25 years, how it resonates so much with my generation, how it feels so timely as well that we should be talking about this now. Yeah, but you know, in a way, you could say that's very sad. It's yeah. like it's like young women in America who thought that their rights they took them for granted. Yeah. And to suddenly have to think that they can't have abortions and they're going to have to fight yeah. it all over again. But you know, that's the story what the dinner party tells about the continual pushing back, gains, erasure. Totally. Gains, erasure. But I don't think I ever imagined, that, see, I thought we, that the dinner party would help to overcome that. I never imagined well, I mean, that we were actually, so no, actually we are in one of those cycles, right, of pushing back. Yeah. But all your work has, you know, it has been so significant. Well, that's why I did it. Yeah. <laughs> So that's very gratifying. But also I think it speaks so much to history because we have this amazing platform as Dior, create, make people think about these things, put up these questions that you're so brilliantly doing in the, in the sort of temple that we have downstairs. Well, I mean, our, these are questions that are being asked yeah. all over the planet, right? I mean, you see it among Chinese women who are trying to start a Me Too movement and are being arrested. There's a struggle about whose story mm. is believed, who has the right to tell their story. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, that's what I encountered when I first started out as an artist, is that it would was impossible to be yourself as a woman in your art. And now young women assume that they can be themselves, that they yeah. can do what they want, the, the subject matter, they can work on whatever subject matter. And actually, yesterday we were talking about the dinner party imagery, and I started laughing, and I said, you know, it's like so tame. You know, I go on Instagram, and yeah. there's like vagina china, club clitoris, <laughs> big red clit. I mean, you know, my images are tame. <laughs> And that's great. It's to be celebrated. At the same time, the thing that is not to be celebrated, and that's why Dior doing this is so important and pivotal, is that institutionally it has not changed. Yeah. So Artnet News released statistics uh, a couple of months ago that shocked a lot of younger women artists because there have been so many shows of women in the last 10 years that a lot of young women artists thought everything had changed. And Artnet News did a really serious institutional study and found that in the last 10 years, only 11% of the acquisitions in major museums have been women artists, and only 3% have been women artists of color. Mm. And, you know, so 
you and I were discussing the way things get have repeatedly been pushed back. Yes, because what does it mean to put on the dinner party in the 70s and what does it mean to the female divine now? That's absolutely right. And what kind of struggle did we have to permanently house the dinner party, to institutionalize it? Yeah. And it's into institutions that pass down values. And so if the institutions don't change, there can be this enormous change of consciousness. Yeah. But in a generation or two generations, it can be washed away. Yeah. And that's where change still has to happen. Having shows is not enough. That's not what changes art history. Yeah. What changes art history are, you know, people are shocked when I say, I'm not in the Museum of Modern Art. I'm not in Whitney. I'm not in the Met. I'm not in the Walker. I have a I only have works on paper at Tate Modern. Yeah. I mean, people can't believe it, but I'm like the poster child for institutional <laughs> resistance. But I'm intrigued to kind of go back to the beginnings of your work and how this kind of feminist language came about. So you were studying in UCLA, doing your MFA in the 60s, and what was it that really made you react to, you know, dedicating your whole life to this incredible subject. I mean, because I know that you were, there, there was totally a boys club in Los Angeles. It was the time of the minimalists. It was the time of the land artists. And they were these kind of machine-like, kind of devoid of emotion, genderless, supposedly. Right. Uh, movements that were definitely more male-dominated. You know, it's the first time I've been encouraged to work lar larger and think bigger. Mm. In graduate school... One of my painting professors told me, well, you're incredibly talented, but you really have to turn down the rheostat. <laughs> and I often laugh if I am doing a public talk yeah. and somebody says, speak up, I can't hear you. I say, I burst out laughing <laughs> and I say, that's just hysterical because for most of my career, people tried to get me to shut up. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> like, speak up. And now we're asking you to take over Paris. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was really challenging. Uh, you know, uh, I was determined to make a contribution as an artist yeah. and to try and make a contribution to art history. I tried to do what was accepted then, which was to disguise my, excise any hint of gender in my early work. Yeah. But I wasn't really successful at it, apparently, because uh, you know what Pacific Standard Time was? The Getty yeah. Initiative? Mm -hmm. uh, the, one of the curators told me that they, the, the Getty show was 60s and 70s, Southern California art, and they included one of my paintings, more minimalist paintings, although there's a new phrase for it called feminist minimalism. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they included a painting from that period from a, a series called Flesh Gardens okay. that was like eight feet by eight feet. One of my male peers, this is in 2011, one of my male peers objected to the inclusion of my work. It was too emotive, it was too sensual, and it had too much color. That's insane. Um, it, just to tell you that if in 2011, yeah. that was the response to my work. So I tried my best to excise any hint of gender from my work. But after 10 years of it, I was like, also, I wasn't getting anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'd have, a, I'd be in a big show, and I'd watch my male peers that they'd be picked up by big some 
big New York gallery, yeah. nothing would happen. Yeah. Nothing would sell. That's that's a huge change. Perception has changed. Yeah. So that, like, younger women, by the not late 90s, after the development of feminist theory and, and women's studies and gender studies, young women studying art history were able to go back and read my early work, read in understand that it, even though I was trying to excise hints of gender, they could read that. Yeah. They could read Pasadena Lifesavers. Like, uh, the, I helped find Mark DeSouvera, a studio next to mine in Pasadena when I was working on Pasadena Lifesavers, and I was also starting to talk about the imagery and my use of color and trying to uh, deal with orgasmic states yeah. and the sense of uh, dissolving that I often felt when I would walk out on the street and my sense of self would dissolve in the face yeah. of how I was perceived. And I was starting to publicly talk about that. And Mark said to me, because I was... I was a pretty out there young woman. I, <laughs> during Pacific Standard Time, they found a, a Pomona College uh, found. A, I had done a fireworks piece there. They found a lecture I had done, and they sent it to me because they wanted to include it in their catalog. I read it. I'm like, I cannot believe I said this, because the lecture starts. I'm going to talk about punt, and I'm like. <laughs> Anyway, I did a lecture about that lecture in which I had a conversation with my younger self. Yeah. And I had two chairs, and on one chair I sat as my younger self, and I read the lecture. And then on the other chair I sat, I sat and commented, like, Judy, how can you say that? <laughs> that you know, that's why, why I started doing research, looking back at history to yeah. see if any women before me had encountered what I was encountering. Yeah. And then I began to discover this huge amount of material. And, you know, to, to go from there to here is like, I've been talking a little bit about that is, okay, so, you know, there was me all alone in my studio discovering the erasure of women's history thinking that with my paintbrush, I myself alone was going to overcome this. Yeah. And then Diane Gellin came to help me on research. And then, you know, we had no money. Yeah. I can remember when I signed a, a, a contract for the porcelain floor for $11,000 in 1975 or six. Yeah. My hand was shaking. I had no idea how I was going to raise that money. Yeah. And, you know, with no money, with mostly volunteers and a small paid staff, we managed to do the dinner party. And then you move forward 40 years to here. Yeah. To here. And I think that we have to look at that as as many challenges as there are for us now on the planet and how hard it is to make change and how many retrograde uh, presidents there are, yeah. you know, <laughs> in the UK, in the US, in Brazil, in Australia, in India. I mean, I, uh, I think we also have to look 
for models, positive models. Yeah. And I think this is a really positive model. I think it is. I think it is. And, and, and sort of when you enter this temple-like space, you are um, confronted with all these banners. And I'd love for you to tell us a bit about what these banners say, because we know that the end one says, what if women ruled the world? Which uh... And then out of that come other questions. Yeah. Like, would God be female? Yeah. Would uh, men and women be equal? Would... Uh, both women and men be gentle? Would yeah. both women and men be strong? Mm. Would old women be revered? Would there be equal parenting? This is interesting, you know, it was a real challenge. Some words you can't, you can't express in some languages. There's no word for parenting, which is interesting because if there's no word for parenting, then parenting, if there's only a gendered word, yeah, like Mothers, mm. uh, motherhood, uh, maternal. Yeah. If there's no word for a gender-free parenting, where either it's very hard to imagine it, right? Mm. I mean, I just want to say that what I believe is in equality. Yeah, I of course, believe of in course. equality and justice for all creatures on the planet, human mm. and non-human. But. The suppression of the feminine. Yeah. You know, I agree with Virginia Woolf that the suppression of the feminine historically has led to a very, very off-balance culture all yeah. around the world. And in order to move to an equitable future, there has to be a period of discovery and celebration, and then there has to be an embrace, a social and cultural embrace of the feminine defined by women, yeah. not the feminine defined by men. Just one final, who's your feminist hero? All my foremothers. I mean, discovering my foremothers, I kept them in my mind all through my career, and I thought if she could do it, I can do it because I think it's important for people to understand when they see my, quote, glamorous, successful life now, uh, how many years I had to be isolated yeah. in order to pursue my own vision of what art could be. I mean, you know, I've had the support of individuals, but I certainly didn't have the support of the art world. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Judy.